In the ever-changing world of healthcare, are you looking to get advice and learn to prepare for healthcare challenges that you may face? Come join a conversation about all things healthcare and wellness with your host, Gavin Wiswell. Welcome to the Healthcare Corner, everyone. And today's episode is going to be discharging patients with confidence. And today we have two special guests that you see here with us that are friends of the show, have come on before, but we're grateful to have them in studio. Sean Chapman, president of Vertair Health, and Dr. Franklin Moses, CEO of Vertair Health. Gentlemen, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Good to be here. So today, I really think that it's important that we really uh, unpack what happens upon discharge from a hospital. What's the effect on the patient, on the discharge planner, and also uh, on the transitional care ecosystem as a whole? So we're talking about home health, hospices, we're talking about durable medical equipment, all of that. And so when we're talking about uh, this problem with providers, uh, namely hospital systems, sometimes it seems that they don't know where to start. And I think part of that, from what we've seen, is that because they're trying to find a way to make the the transition of care uh, financially beneficial for them, so it's sustainable. So it's something that they can do mm-hmm. on the long term. So so Franklin, if, if you and Sean would maybe dive into a little bit about some other healthcare industry issues, uh, that'd be great. So Franklin, maybe we start with you. So when we take a look at uh, the post-acute space and the discharge arena, there's really not too many people out there that are really focusing on the, on the, on the space and the problems that are there. I think a lot of people are trying to do a lot, um, but as we can see that there's a lot of silos that are there as well, and the gaps between those silos are, are the failure points that, that can happen for a patient. And unfortunately, it's generally the patient that suffers, and it's a, a systemic thing that's that's kind of like inbuilt with our system right now. Yeah, when you look at what a hospital has to do, all the things that they're responsible for, um, they become our, our best and our most expensive center of care. Um, for the last 20 years, you've watched healthcare try to make a turn and a shift away from that being the, the primary center of care where people go for all their problems and trying to allow patients to get to the appropriate level of care um, sooner. So that's that's one side of it. But then the other side of it is, yes, when a hospital does its job well, and I would say that uh, hospitals in the United States are the best in the world and in terms of their ability to assess and treat patients, but then they leave the hospital and hospitals have these penalties that are in place. They were not, it wasn't always this way. This is a, a more recent uh, change. Um, it seems appropriate because it encourages hospitals to do, really good, do a really good job or be penalized if the patient comes back for that same uh, issue that they had. And so those, those readmission um, penalties are there and they're very real. And anybody listening to this that runs a care organization or a hospital knows uh, they're significant. And so it's nothing new. It's not a problem that we've come up with. Everybody knows it's a problem. And just focusing specifically on readmission rate, um, a few years ago, it was as high as 18%. Uh, now it's down to 15%. That could be for a multitude of factors. But the, the point is, they're fo- it, everybody's focused on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we recognize that the problem is costly, average of $15,000 per readmission not to mention what it does to um, other penalties that might be in play for the, how the hospital is reimbursed. 
and I think that you're also addressing the fact that there are truly competing outcomes of the hospital, sometimes the, uh, the providers in the post-acute space, as well as the patients and their loved ones. So you're talking about, um, from a hospital perspective, like you mentioned, um, they're just having a problem with staffing, sometimes getting the right staff in place, the technology integration that's necessary with the latest and greatest to try to improve these outcomes, which sometimes only a 1%, 2% change in readmissions doesn't justify the multi-million dollar cost of this technology. And then finally, four out of 10 patients that go to the hospital have a mental health concern that isn't addressed. So if you can't find out what that issue is in four out of 10 patients, they're going to be back on your doorstep within 30 days. So you're looking at a minimal personalization of, of that engagement with the patient, really the significant administrative burden that you've talked about, coupled with the penalties, Sean, that you brought up, and then the decreasing revenue that these hospitals are experiencing because of COVID and other things. People are reticent to go to the hospital for elective surgeries and those types of, of visits to the hospital where, the, where it's actually lucrative for the hospital so that they can keep open their doors and really care for everybody. Franklin? No, you hit the, hit the nail on the head in terms of being able to, uh, the, the competing priorities that are there. And when we look at the hospitals, it's not that uh, everybody's worried about patient outcomes. So we look at patient outcomes at every level, but how do we achieve them, right? And then the focus that each level has. So if we look at uh, a patient on discharge uh, from the hospital, they could either go to a SNF, they can go to assisted living, they can go to various levels of care. But the thing is, like at every level of care, while they're worried about patient outcome, they're not necessarily either talking to each other or the priorities are a little bit different. And that's where some of the gaps that occur, uh, unfortunately, are there. And so much of it comes down to paying, right? Mm -hmm. So so at the hospital level, for those of you uh, that are listening to the show that, that have heard our shows on billing and, and how Medicare dollars flow, uh, you can always refer back to hcshow.net and listen to those episodes. But essentially, the hospital gets a one-time payment, and then if it, they're the patient is discharged to a skilled nursing facility, then there's a daily payment. Or if they're discharged from the hospital to home with home health, that's a daily payment that goes out that ultimately the hospital takes on risk and, and takes on that payment. So understanding those costs associated with the type of discharge is very important that, that many don't, don't understand. Yeah. The, the, you know, from a, from a patient's perspective, the discharge is, um, can be a convoluted process. And that's something to be aware of. You know, sometimes when you're in there for procedure or you get some things done, uh, you get a, a piece of paper with 20 or 30 different things and they do their best to connect everybody uh, to make sure that you're availing of those services. Um, but that's where some of the uh, discrepancies can happen of can the patient actually do everything on their own and can they handle all those things on their own? I mean, and that's the harsh reality is if you look at what a patient is supposed to do, so we'll call that a patient adherence, and what they actually do, they're two different things. Um, to no fault of their own, this is, this is new terminology. A lot of times there's, it's, they're drinking from a fire hose, as it were. And so no, it's no wonder that they readmit for maybe not taking their medication appropriately, uh, not setting up an appointment with their primary care physician within a week, um, not getting their durable medical equipment, a walker, a, a, a bed even, or whatever they needed to help them to recover in, a, in the appropriate fashion that the physicians from the hospital had, had set out for them. And so, of course, for sepsis, for falls and trips, and for um, mismanagement of medication, patients wind up back in the hospital. And if they come back in for the same 
you know, technically the same thing, then the hospital pays the penalty uh, due to no fault of their own. And so, of course, there's a need for these, um, these services that, that get involved with hospitals post-discharge. But I think that kind of the thing to really talk about is what, 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 how are they tackling this right now? You know, and we've seen a shift in the over, like I say, the last couple of decades because healthcare costs have been go- getting a little bit out of control. Uh, is the understatement of the episode, <laughs> but but they spoiler alert, yeah. But they but they've been trying to do is is shift from the fee for service to value based care, and we see this in the higher, more densely populated areas. Um, you still see a lot of fee for service in the more uh, rural areas, but in densely populated areas and big city centers, California certainly you see Advantage plans taking most of the Part B benefits for Medicare and putting their, their kind of putting themselves on the line to take risk and say, we'll take care of all these people. So you see this value-based healthcare, which is the right move. You know, they should be responsible to do a good job and come up with creative solutions to help take care of patients. So mm-hmm. we see, we've seen this shift towards let us take on the risk as creative innovators in the hospital systems and the healthcare plans and, and the ICOs and whatever the organization type is, um, which is appropriate, but they still, as we've noticed, seem to be missing the mark because there's so many um, new silos that get created when you try to solve a problem that now you've just created more of a mess rather than simplifying it. Yeah, there's so many different pieces that are, are there. And as, as, as we've mentioned before, we use the term silos quite Quite consistently, it's because the priorities at, at each of those levels, as we, as we mentioned, makes a big difference, right? So, for example, a hospital, um, uh, the first 30 days after discharge is actually the most important for them. Um, but what happens after 30 days? What happens in the longer-term care of the patient? And what happens in some of those uh, situations in which um, the patient needs more help uh, in every aspect of their life? Whether it's, uh, as, as you had mentioned, Musa, the mental health that needs to be addressed or... Um, there's other social issues that are that need to be addressed as well. So it's um, while it's a system that is is working, it's always working um, to refine itself and become better. Um, and the intent is always good for is is the intent is always for patient outcomes. So I think as we continue to work in that, you know, it's it's really about working within the system. And that's a great point. You know, as a skilled nursing administrator, I'd have our CFO um, for whatever company say the numbers never lie you follow the numbers it will tell you a story of what's going on and so when we look at the evolution of telehealth teleplacement services uh, virtual care codes whether it be transitional care management or tcm remote patient monitoring rpm mental wellness remote therapeutic monitoring that's just coming out or specifically chronic care management ccm any of these acronyms by themselves uh, initially weren't used that often like chronic care management came around eight years ago and there was a very low adoption under 10 percent across the country because although it was a wonderful idea to put together a care plan for patients proactively to be able to coordinate that care the incentives weren't aligned and so on one hand you could say gosh you know the evil healthcare providers that just want money but on the other hand, there's only a finite amount of those healthcare providers. They're doing great work. We've got to find a better mousetrap to be able to support them. So I think we're going to get into more of those types of, of questions on the other side of the break. But but really, you know, there are a lot of things that we're doing right. I, I think 
for patients to embrace uh, technology, to look at this new reimbursement in a positive light. So I think as we continue here on the healthcare corner, we'll identify a couple of more issues that these hospital systems may be facing, and then we'll go into the effect that that has on the patient. So um, stick with us here on the healthcare corner as we continue with Sean Chapman and Dr. Franklin Moses. To learn more about being a guest on the show or to ask a host a question, go to hcshow.net or email the show at info at hcshow.net to get your questions answered on the Healthcare Corner. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Healthcare Corner with Gavin Wiswell. Welcome back to Healthcare Corner, where you're a part of the conversation with your host, Gavin Wiswell. Welcome back to the Healthcare Corner, everyone. Got Sean Chapman, president of Retair Health, uh, and Dr. Franklin Moses, the CEO of Retair Health, with us today. And and in the last segment, we were talking about uh, just possible solutions that are out there. And and Sean, you had mentioned that on the whole, the that uh, that readmission uh, percentage about eighteen percent, which ten years ago was twenty five percent has only moved the needle a little bit. It's down to about 15% now in the last couple of years. So it seems to be really flattening off as far as the effectiveness of some of these penalties and other things that have been introduced into the healthcare world. So what what do you think are some of those reasons for uh, that decrease in the readmission rate and, and, and what's out there for some of our listeners to hear? Well, it's it's uh, not for lack of trying. There's It's mm-hmm. about a $30 billion problem per year when it comes to seniors, just seniors. Um, that the for when it comes to readmission penalties and, and so on, so there's a lot of emphasis and focus being placed. Uh, you have transitional care management programs. Uh, the hospital might contract with a service. They might pay per member per month for per, a patient to be on a service that kind of extends the nurses into their home or extends the hospital to home or an urgent care at home and that type of a solution. So you've got. Also, RPM providers have come onto the scene the last uh, few years. You've got um, chronic care management providers. You have um, even just um, all your traditional providers that are there in that space looking to support SNFs, um, home health, and so on. All of them still are in their own, we're going to keep using the word silo, they're in their own bucket, and they don't necessarily coordinate with one another. They might be associated, they might like each other, they might find you know, um, relationships that work for them, but there's not a single point of contact coordinating that, coordinating that care. So there's still a new group, and sometimes that means a new software or a new way that you have to interact with them or a new way the patient has to figure out how to work with them. And then there's another person to call when the next thing comes along. And so you have, and, it's, and in each of them on their own is doing a, a, a great job. That's not to say that it's not um, well-meaning, good organizations doing good work and, and providing good health care, but they're uncoordinated when it comes to how the patient has to engage with them and work with them. You know, and I think to add to that, um, two-thirds of that Medicare population living with chronic disease have multiple comorbidities, so it's not like it used to just be one diagnosis maybe it was just diabetes maybe it was just chf right now you have diabetes and chf together so you're dealing with a primary care physician you're dealing with uh different specialists that now need all that information and when about 80 percent of that communication gets to that uh, specialty provider late or not at all 
now that administrative burden that's coming in really is the reason for why that patient goes back to the hospital, causing that $15,000 stay on average, or like you said, Sean, even more. So I, I, frankly, I've been waiting to get to this part of the uh, the show because we uh, we wanted to talk about the anatomy of a discharge. And this is something I know that you're passionate about uh, and, and, and looking at all the factors that go into the physical needs, the mental needs, and the social concerns that that come up with that patient discharge. So would you break that down for our listeners, please? Yeah, absolutely. So from a, from a hospital's perspective, there's uh, you know quite a few things that, they're, they, that they want to look at. They're dealing with the primary diagnosis that you came in for. So if you came in for COPD, they're really concerned about you not coming back for the same thing. So in terms of the discharge planning and what they're doing for the patient, they're really focusing on that particular diagnosis and what's needed to, in their mind, to be able to keep that patient from coming back for that particular diagnosis. So they're going to look at the medications. They're going to look at whether the patient needs a DME or anything else that they need to have on there. Um, They're also going to look at transportation. Um, They're also going to take a look at... uh, uh, the the caregivers and who's appropriate that's there, whether they need in how in home care. So it's it becomes a long list that the patient has to uh, deal with actually uh, after they're discharged. Now the discharge coordinator that's in the hospital will do their best to make sure the connection happens, uh, make sure that they get on the service for those individual providers. But the thing is, is that. Uh, as Sean had mentioned just now, is that there's great products and great programs dealing with all these individually, but do they talk to each other? It's really about the coordination of care that happens after the patient is discharged. And I think what you're seeing on the state level with the work that you're doing with Cal AIM or other states that are out there, these community supports are vast. The funding is vast, but people don't know how to a- access it all. And because they don't speak together, that technology really becomes a burden instead of a support. So, Sean, I, I know that that's all, uh, something that you're passionate about is making that connected care work. And as I've always heard you say, that, that really technology, if it isn't used, is worthless. So can you go into maybe a little bit more of, of, of how we're going to overcome this technological uh, hurdle? Well, the comment that was made in a roundtable recently um, in a Calium discussion was that for every solution, there's a new piece of technology or software that we have to try to figure out. And it was, it was, the comment was made in, in the air of frustration, kind of like, <laughs> this isn't helping the problem. And so we definitely look at it. When you look at it, you have to consider if, if, if the goal is to help, in this case, we're talking about hospitals and we're talking about making discharges um, more seamless and, and more productive and, and successful. Um, if the goal is to help the hospital avoid readmission, number one, and and associated with that is then good patient care because the patient's going to be benefited if the hospital avoids a readmission. So it's a win-win right there. And then thirdly, if we can really do that in a way where nobody that was in that care circle had to learn a new trick or two, um, that, that's really the goal. Let's, let's stop trying to teach people or force people into new forms of, or modes of technology that may not last. Let's let them stay where they are and let's just um, adapt to that for now. And, and here's an example that works for me. Right now, everybody's got a smartphone. And usually, there's, there's others out there. There's really two major um, uh, software, you know, operating systems. It's iOS or it's Android. And, and when I look at these new groups coming into health, these healthcare organizations, telling them they've got to get a new AHR, they've got to get on their new software, their new program, it's almost like saying, well, you have an iPhone. Why don't we go ahead and download a new 
uh, operating system and we're going to kind of tweak what you currently have and make it work with this. Well, you know it's not going to work very well. And, and same thing with Android. It's, it's going to have bugs and glitches and it's going to create more problems than it solves. And so that's the way we've looked at that. And I just think that there's, it's, it's not the time to create more um, software problems for a space that's already just trying to, st- to keep afloat with what it currently is using. You've got to do that in a really conscientious way. Now, as, as the adoption takes place for an, these newer platforms that are out there, I think we will st- start to see people be able to adopt and, and come into a new um, um, environment, a, a new techno, a digital environment. But there's there's too many solutions, and it's kind of an odd problem to have. It, and and I think that's almost going to be a great another episode, Franklin, that that you you would be able to lead out on some of the changes that we're seeing out there with um, the sharing of healthcare records, mm-hmm. right? I think that's. Uh, probably a topic in and of itself that we could spend an hour on where how do we take caregivers that want to spend face-to-face time with that patient engaging in what matters most Um, on average we're talking about seeing a provider every three to four weeks getting maybe eight to ten minutes with that provider and half of that time is usually documentation so the provider covers themselves so they're not litigated against so now you're talking about five minutes of the patient getting in front of that doctor who's actually just trying to check boxes to triage your problem instead of really getting to know you. Frankly, I know that's a big pet peeve of yours, but I think that with this interoperability that's out there, that could be another great episode. Any thoughts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The The interoperability, when we look at coordination of care and and uh, the legislation and the, and the codes that you mentioned before, they're all meant for us to work together. Unfortunately, we just haven't gotten there yet. And it's going to take a lot of time for technology groups and, and other people to uh, get to those points where there is a lot of interoperability, but sharing of that information. And then what we do with that information is not information overload is, is another issue in itself. Um, it's, it's not necessarily the physician's fault. Uh, it's the system in which we're working in right now, unfortunately, in which they, they do have to check boxes. We have to do those, those kind of things. And, and, uh, the physician spends a lot of time typing in a lot of cases in the, in the office instead of being able to spend time with the patient. And really, the, it's, it's our opinion as a group and uh, for that face-to-face time, there needs to be relationships that are built because um, that's really where the care takes effect. And I think that confidence back in the health system, back in the provider that says, this is a person that knows me over 20 years. And whatever I read online, whatever I heard from a friend about a problem, they're not going to know and be able to address what's actually going on with me. Like my provider that intimately knows me, that knows my labs, understands my history and everything going on. And and so, I, Sean, I love this this quote that you've shared before is that technology has made a lot of things possible that we couldn't do in the past. But by itself, technology isn't the solution. And and so I, I really think that that if you're looking at a provider led solution, that we'll probably get into the next segment about what is Vertere Health, right? And, and and where this solution comes of, of of really integrating a provider-led solution could be very interesting. If 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 we just try to let technology solve all the problems, talk to any right now. Let's use radiology as an example. Talk to any radiologist. I was talking to my cousin. He's just you know finished his residency. I said, pretty soon, do you, are you concerned that you know, the, the machine takes over and does your job for you? He said, not even for a second. He's like, I've played with a lot of the new software coming out. He said, there's so many false positives that a human can see it and see the difference. 
that he said we have a we have a, a, a real uh, advantage as a human to be able to see the difference. And and so I while I agree with him, I said, well, I think maybe at least they will bra- raise some flags for you so that you can go to the report and pick up on the on the little things and see through the nuance and then make your report right. He still disagreed. He said, no, I think I think <laughs> a human's still better. So so the the moral the, the point is. Of course, uh, the human interaction in healthcare is critical. Uh, machines will replace certain aspects of what we do, and there's certainly things that we're working on that are remarkable, and, and it's a beautiful thing to see, but you always have to have that physician engagement. So, Franklin, as we wrap up the, this segment, um, from a billing perspective, have you been able to kind of follow the money there? And, and like my old CFO talked about, is there a trending that we're seeing with some of these uh these new telehealth uh, codes or precision health codes? Well, I think, I think a lot of the codes are out. This last year really put a focus on uh, innovation, honestly, in healthcare. And people are looking at these codes uh, uh, and, and seeing how they could be able to utilize them um, to be able to provide better service for the patients. So uh, Medicare has always looked at it in innovation and being able to push things forward. Um, I think we're seeing a lot of, of utilization going up on some of these newer codes um, because people are looking to solve problems now. So we're, we're definitely in a renaissance right now in terms of innovation. You're not going to want to go anywhere, so make sure you've got your pen, your paper, and you're taking notes because we've got Dr. Franklin Moses and Sean Chapman with us here on the Healthcare Corner. To learn more about being a guest on the show or to ask a host a question, go to hcshow.net or email the show at info at hcshow.net to get your questions answered on the Healthcare Corner. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Healthcare Corner with Gavin Wiswell. Welcome back to Healthcare Corner, where you're a part of the conversation with your host, Gavin Wiswell. Welcome back to The Healthcare Corner, everyone. And today's episode, we've really been trying to break down the uh, concept of, of discharging patients with confidence. Like, like we've mentioned on the show earlier, hospitals are doing a great job, for the most part, best in the world, and the ability to patch somebody up and get them really to a, a safe point upon discharge. And then it's really a hope and a prayer to make sure that they survive and, and thrive uh, aging in place at home. So we've talked a lot about the challenges that are there and, and the anatomy of the discharge and some of the, the paralysis by analysis that goes on by the patient, by the discharge planner, so many different solutions out there, and then now introducing new technology. So it kind of seems like a choppy world, Sean and Franklin. Uh, why jump into this space? What did, what did you have to solve that wasn't out there already? Well, like you said, it's, it's choppy. Things are completely separated out and really good on their own and then there's gaps and those gaps are to the detriment of everybody involved because the gap where a patient gets gets hurt or doesn't uh, adhere leads to the patient leaking over to another uh, organization that's also not good for you know health plans and other groups or they come right back and we get a readmission penalty so we looked at it and we said there's there's new technology and there's new codes, but let's not just dive in and be an RPM company. Let's not just start monitoring patients' um, health because there's a code for it. What could we do, and I'll, I'll turn this over to Franklin in a second because this is really his brainchild, but what could we do that would actually create a single point of contact and allow for us to essentially be a care coordinator to that hospital, to edify the hospital? So they've discharged this patient, and then by, by referring that patient over to us, we support them with 
maybe we accelerate that that discharge because we have uh, plan- we have uh, discharge specialists that can actually be physically in the hospital and just occupy a supporting role to help those discharge planners allow that patient to be discharged and have one point of contact working with all 10 of those organizations or those services that we discussed before TCM CCM you know all of it the primary the, the primary yes. all of them. Yep. and so as we as we don't replace any other specialty as we allow for all of these really good professionals to continue to do what they do best we become this safety net care coordinator that is now taking that patient on a journey post-acute so that they can be the hero of their own journey and really have an, uh, an amazing experience and get all the outcomes that you would hope. And then in turn, the hospital gets to become the hero because they did a good job and the patient loves the hospital because they didn't have to go back there. They've always been so busy, right? Even to take the credit. So because it's always on to the next patient. And so Franklin, what would you add to that? Well, I think one of one of the things that we look at when we we look at the responsibilities at, at, at these different levels, um, there's a lot of specialization in healthcare when we look at it, right? So, the hospitals are good at what they do, and what they do is take care of the patient at the most critical time and period of their life, and seeing them when they go out, you know, that's a different responsibility, and that's where we fit in. And when we looked at it, when a patient's discharged. Um, there's different people that, that try to come in and they take different roles and responsibilities, but is it really their spot and their, their specialty to do that, right? Are we asking primary care to take a potentially higher acuity patient and manage them on top of managing their full practice that they're dealing with? You know, as you all know, um, when you see your physician, uh, there's limited time that's there, but we have higher acuity patients that are being discharged. There's a lot of technology that supports it. Um, there's something to be said for the KISS philosophy, which is keep it simple, right? So if, if people who aren't accustomed with new technology and new processes, different ways of looking at things and how we can integrate that together, they're not going to be effective at what they do. And that's where we come in in terms of the way we looked at it is, although we can't take the human touch out, which we're really proud of being able to do that, is keeping the human touch in the interactions uh, that we have. But we're pulling in the latest technology. We're understanding the codes. We understand how they interrelate. We understand... Um, uh, the different protocols that need to come in as we manage this patient during uh, a, t- a time period in most, uh, of most need for them um, and being able to put a, get together a good solution uh, so we can have really good outcomes for the patient. And we're not just looking at them for the first 30 days. What we'd like to do is be a part of the patient's life as they continue even after that to make an improvement in their chronic conditions um, and be uh, a player so, uh, in their lives. So we're, we're trying to take a, a panoptic view in terms of that patient during that period of life that they're in. I think that's excellent, Franklin. And, and I, I think that really what you hear by so many providers, like take a home health provider as an example that follows a patient for either 30 or 60 days, depending upon the length of that episode, for all the goals that they have with therapy and, and for their nursing needs, uh, that patient doesn't always achieve them. Well, that's when the payment ends. So guess what? That's when the care stops. And so it sounds like what you've been able to put together allows for that continuing monitoring for up to a year, several years. What What's the average length of, of stay that a, a patient has on, on your services? It, it's really six months to a year, um, but really it's up to the patient. Our goal is not to have patients on forever. There's nothing that makes us more happier than a patient that achieves their goals and everything they're doing. They've got their hypertension down. They got their 
diabetes in control. Um, they're walking every day. They're doing something physical. Their uh, mental health is where they want it to be. You know, they don't have the stresses of life or the issues that are there. We want them to get off our service at a certain point. Um, so really it's, um, but if they need to be on our service, we're there for them. We're there to support them and we're there to uh, take the different um, aspects they need to. Uh, one thing that I failed to, to mention before is that when we look at the discharge is that, um, you know, the social determinants of health is really important, right? Where they're staying, where uh, the caregivers they have. So uh, we also pull that into how we look at them, not just the clinical things, but socially, what, what's going on in their life. The finances drive so much, right? You either have, you have three buckets from what we've seen, especially from the skilled nursing facility with the discharge planners and the social services directors upon discharge. You have those with money that have services that they're able to get, a home care provider, or that sort of thing. You have those on Medicaid or Medi-Cal services that have state opportunities. And then you have people in the middle that really don't have enough money to get the services they need, but don't qualify for the services that the state provides. And so I think you're exactly right, Franklin, when you're talking about social determinants of health, really who's going to pay for what, how are they going to sustainably succeed at home to age in place and have the quality of life that they deserve. And, and when we look at Medicare and Medicaid services, these are, are funds that people have paid into uh, their entire lives, their entire working lives that they're entitled to. And so I, I think that uh, the other interesting point here is that when they are in this health journey that they have, how do they proactively get better information so that they can be better consumers of their own healthcare information? Right, Sean? Well, I want to comment too on on this. You're, what you're describing is the panoptic approach right. to a person's healthcare. And when I say panoptic, I'm saying whole person, yeah. not just the sliver that I specialize in, but that I'm because I'm a single point of contact. And I'm a care coordinator. I am bringing in all the specialists, and I'm bringing them to you. Now, there's other groups that are doing this in other aspects of healthcare. You see it in some of the newer. Um, a lot of the urgent cares are being purchased around the country by these by these smaller, more tech-friendly um, companies that are focused on a younger population, that are focused on preventative health care. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's what Franklin and I talk about this all the time. It's one of our favorite th things to see is all these great new innovations coming, kind of displacing the old model with, you don't have to go and tell us who you are again the next time you show up. You don't have to fill out another form because you're at a different specialist office. We've got your information and we're, and we're facilitating that, um, that, that sharing of information. That's the same approach we're taking with Retair Health, right? We want, we want you to be um, where everybody knows your name that you interact with and not like, who are you, stranger? Fill out more forms. And so by taking that approach, it gives that person that peace of mind that they are not just one of a million, but that they're, they're singular, they're unique, and that we see them as that individual, and we look at their whole person. We want, that, we want them to know that there's support for them and, and make them aware of that support. You know, just because I say, yeah, we offer a bunch of support is one thing. But if I'm talking to them and we have one of our um, one of our care managers, let's say, is discussing their health needs and what's going on, they're going to make suggestions. Hey, why don't we do an assessment for you today and pass them to an, to have a behavioral health assessment, not to be a diagnosed, but to know how are they doing when it comes to their behavioral health and, and add that to their profile so that their primary care physician knows, hey, they've got some risks they need to consider or, hey, they're perfectly safe. Everything looks good. You know, it's been my experience that most patients love to tell their story, maybe once, maybe twice. But then there comes a point where it's like you get the, that that phrase, does the left hand know where the right hand's doing? That's right. And, and that's kind of, I think, where we are. 
and and so it sounds like you've bitten off a very large chunk here of a trillion dollar i mean this is a multi-trillion dollar industry right healthcare as a whole it's a huge part almost 20 percent of our gdp so uh, and we've only got a couple of minutes so uh we'll maybe start with the uh you know, unpacking of that this question that i'm going to offer and then we'll finish that in our final segment but where do you stop and where do other people start and and it seems like you're doing so many great things so so how can you do it all franklin well, well we have very good partners and then we also have very good technology and we're patient focused with technology supporting what we're doing and what makes us a little bit different than than just other technology uh, tools that are out there is we're actually our own physician group. So as an ethos and as a company, we're building ourselves around for the purpose of the transitional care management and how we could best manage the patient during that period of time and making sure that the information and the connected services that we have all work really well together. Not worrying about how to um, uh, shoehorn something in to some place that doesn't make sense. And that's really a key to, to what we're doing. Um, our patients that we currently have on service view us as friends. We keep uh, contact with them. We average almost uh, 10 to 15 touches per patient or contacts per patient per month uh, easily in terms of how we're interacting with them. And we've become an extension of care providers of both the hospital, uh, of every, every uh, healthcare provider in that, in that space um, because we're actually keeping in contact with them more often than most other people do. And they look to us uh, over that course of time. So it's not only the personal interaction, but really the technology underlying that that uh, drives us. And uh, we kind of disguise it, honestly, so that the patient doesn't see it. Well, when we and, then, and you'll remember about a year ago, nobody will remember this, but I, I remember I was on the show about over a year ago. And as as I did an episode with my then company Alert Ease, we were all about uh, tools and technology and software to support what Vertere Health is doing. And we've, we made the decision to consolidate that technology company inside of Vertere. So rather than operate as a software provider, we wanted to provide those tools exclusively to Vertere. And Vertere then offers that to its staff and to um, manage and care for the lives that, that come into Vertere's organization. So why I'm saying that is there's a whole separate um, uh, organization that was combined with this. That's how, when, when Franklin references our technology, it was designed to stand alone, and now it's inside of Vertere. So stick with us here. For the last segment, as you'll learn three things providers can do to see if Precision Health solutions are right for their organization. Stay with us on Healthcare Corner. To learn more about being a guest on the show or to ask a host a question, go to hcshow.net or email the show at info at hcshow.net to get your questions answered on the Healthcare Corner. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Healthcare Corner with Gavin Wiswell. Welcome back to Healthcare Corner, where you're a part of the conversation with your host, Gavin Wiswell. Welcome back to The Healthcare Corner, everyone, for what is usually always the fastest hour of the week for us here on The Healthcare Corner. And with us today, it's been a special treat to have Sean Chapman, president of Vertere Health, and Dr. Franklin Moses, CEO of Vertere Health, uh, talking about improving discharges from the hospital setting into that, that post-acute transitional ecosystem and, and the effects on not only the hospital, but also the patient. And we've tried to unpack as much as we can. I don't know if we're going to be able to get it all wrapped up today, gentlemen. No, I think it's just the start, and I think that you know we'll, we'll 
spend our time taking breaking down the pieces even more. So, so, so typically here in the healthcare corner, as you know, and in past episodes that you've been on, uh, we'd love to talk about three things that providers can do to see if precision health solutions are right for them. And these are no cost solutions, Sean, that you've outlined that, or, or no upfront costs, depending upon how you engage as a provider group with them. But I, I think maybe Franklin, if we start with the types of specialties, uh, that you work with, it might be illuminating for our listeners today. Well, the, the, the specialties are actually quite broad. Um, there's there's something to be said for almost any specialty in terms of uh, not only the the post discharge management but the continued uh, chronic management and monitoring for that patient. Um, so cardiologist uh, in particular and where that's relevant for the hospitals is one of the highest readmissions is uh, uh, congestive heart failure for them. So working with uh, cardiologists having a, a good uh, discharge program with all the monitoring that we could provide and, and support is great for them. Uh, there's also pain management. Um, uh, then there's also uh, any of the primary care uh, specialties or even uh, respiratory. Um, uh, and and so it almost touches on to any specialty that, that a hospital wants to discharge a patient that they consider uh, requires some sort of risk, uh, risk for readmission. So I wouldn't necessarily want to close it off just by listing all the specialties out there um, because what we've done is create protocols uh, for so many different specialties and, and managing those different patients and the different needs that they have. Um, in, within the organization. And Sean, when you talk about technology, I think to that nuance, each each specialist or provider has their own way of gathering data that's important to them. Can you briefly talk about some of that technology and what you've been able to accomplish there? What we've, the approach we take is to push and pull data inside of their current environment and not make them get on our software. Certainly if they like what we have, we'll let them utilize it and but the reality is most of these organizations are so committed under so many different disciplines to stay inside of their platform that we're not asking them to leave that. Um, and we found that to be a, a, a real advantage because it allows them to keep their training to staff at a minimum. Essentially what it looks like is a referral. Uh, we're not even asking for a big contract because we're not asking for fees. Um, when we first engage with, with a hospital, we're working with their Medicare population that are discharging, and we're saying Medicare is paying for these services. They will, they will compensate our um, services and those of our partners. All you need to know is that they're taken care of and make the referral. Now, really quickly, a hospital is going to see how well that goes and what it does to their you know, HEDIS or their you know, star rating or their, any of the, uh, the, fa the, uh, the measurements that they use to define success. Um, and then as things go along, we're going to want to talk to that organization about, hey, what does it look like if we, show, we, we participate in those savings with you? Um, and so there's multiple ways that we can engage with those groups. Um, and you were talking about specialties, different physician groups. What if a, a cardiologist is listening to the call right now or somebody that's got a specialty niche and uh, they want to know how, how would they engage with a group like ours? Um, it's, it's similar, different, but we're focused then on monitoring and chronic care management and some of those um, codes. And so, again, we can engage with them and support their practice and, and be able to do some things that, again, we're trying to, we're trying to be, keep a really light footprint on healthcare, meaning we're not trying to make everybody hire new people and learn new things to work with us. We want the, the friction to be very low, and all they need to do is, is align themselves or let us align ourselves with what they're doing 
and show them how we can just slightly tweak things to get better results. We're not saying we're going to take a 15% readmission rate and turn it to zero in the next 60 days. That's impossible. But if we can shave percentages off over time, that's the goal is to really make and, and really it ultimately leads to them doing better as an organization, looking better, and we become a real uh, post-acute healthcare partner for them. So I, I think that um, if you're a provider listening, what I heard from you saying is we're going to improve patient adherence, that patient leakage conversation of a patient getting out of your health system or your hospital system, and then you're able to guide them back to reduce cost uh, to the hospital. Uh, the HEDIS scoring or HCAP scoring can be improved. So the perception of care and, and really the hospital is able to take better credit because of the data that you're providing, uh, the readmissions, uh, those hospital systems that are working uh, with, with understaffed or lower staff staffing ratios than they'd like, um, and really connecting that, that integrated network depending upon the hospital system, making sure the left hand does know the right hand's doing. Is, is there anything I missed there, Sean? Or? Well, you, you said it more eloquently than I said it, so, yeah. you know. You could do. You could let uh, maybe let Franklin have a have a second here. And, well, yeah, well, put one in my place, Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one of the things I, I didn't want to get lost as we continue the conversation and uh, as we look at the the uh, services that we're looking at and also how we can support hospitals and providers. I didn't want to get lost that we can help and we want to help individuals. So anybody that's listening or anybody that needs help as they're looking to uh, as they're discharging from a hospital or they're uh, need support their, for their family members, there's no reason why we can't support them as well. It's very important for us as a company and, um, and uh, all of our philosophy is that we want to help as many people as we can that enter our programs. So if anybody needs that, feel free to contact us. Um, you don't have to wait for your health system or your provider group or anybody else. Uh, I do want to encourage that a lot of these programs that we do represent are opt-in. So you have the choice uh, to avail of these services. Uh, and want to encourage you to do so. Um, and what website or what number can they call, Franklin? Um, uh, they can check out VerterraHealth.com and just contact us through there. And one of our staff will be sure to reach out and uh, talk to you. If you know you're getting discharged in a couple of days and would like some help in the process, uh, more than happy to, to uh, start that process with you. And, and if there's other issues, if you're dealing with chronic conditions and would like some additional support, we're there for you guys as well. Excellent. And so that's Verter Health, V-I-R-T-A-R-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. And uh, the number is 855-745-8400 to be able to call. So for those of you that are listening that um, have their pen and paper out, please write that down and give Dr. Moses and Sean a call. Um, It sounds like that you're uh, setting us up for another episode that we can talk to you about not only uh, the patient experience, but I know there's other uh, avenues of, of support that you provide as well. Do you want to go into those within the final uh, minutes that we have, Sean? One comment I wanted to make about um, anybody jumping on the service immediately, what we've found is even when we're talking to uh, executives or um, key uh, members of organizations, hospitals, and so on, is if you've got a parent or family member, try them out, put them on the service and see how they like it. And that's been a really effective way for us to kind of engage with people that were like, look, I can't make that big of a decision right now. And we said, well, then just try it with somebody that, that, that you know, one person, and you'll be able to see kind of what, what our service looks like. Um, that's one comment. And then the other point is we're constantly testing 
Uh, we're a device. We, we've said this before. We're device agnostic, meaning we're not looking the way we, the way that we work with patients is not just to work with one set of hardware or devices to help monitor them and take care of them when it when it comes to monitoring. And so we're constantly testing what works really well and what is the easiest to use. And so maybe on another episode, that would be kind of a fun uh, thing that we could talk about is what are the latest um, easy to access, you know, cost effective devices for monitoring your own health at home, whether you're on a a servicing um, program like ours, or you're just doing it yourself. And uh, we could probably talk about that. That'd be kind of a cool thing to go over. Excellent. Franklin, any final thoughts? Yeah. And as you, as you touched on that, when we look at uh, in, in terms of health organizations and, and what we'd like to continue to do is, um, you know, we want to continue to support what the organization does. I think we've really uh, made it a goal to fit into that niche and not really step on anyone's toes, but really to support and engage at every level that we can. Um, and as Shauna mentioned, it's being device agnostic. If there are already programs that are in place and equipment's out, we can incorporate that equipment easily for any organization as well. Uh, so there's there really no no uh, loss or, or change in the equipment and, and uptime and training and those things as well. So we really tried to um, focus on making it easy and, and make it no lift. And, and one of the groups we recently talked to was already working with um, an RPM company. Um, they were quite successful at it but they realized that they weren't doing anything with the data. They weren't doing anything to further the, the support of the patient. And so one thing that, um, that we really do differently that they were interested in engaging with us about was we take that information, the data, and we make it uh, usable. We turn it into a, a report or something that a primary care physician or a specialist can actually just look at it and have something more to help them make decisions for their patients between visits. And every single day we have patients reporting through our care teams telling us this patient was able to get in touch with their primary care physician as a result of between visit monitoring and receive a change in medication. This patient um, had a procedure performed as a result of the information that came from monitoring and the, their specialist said that they avoided a, a potentially life-altering event, you know, catastrophic emergency. So just on the monitoring side of things, uh, we see a lot of good coming into our, our patients' lives. And so it's a pretty exciting thing. And just know that the, the solutions are very simple, but you have to have the mentality of that panoptic whole person approach. Otherwise, you'll just burn on a code for a little while as an organization and think, yeah, I'm doing good by collecting, but I don't do anything with this information or this data. And that's where I think this this approach that we've come up with is is a little unique. And and we're again we're there to support your organization to become its very best and and to provide the kind of outcomes to patients that that the organization strives to have. Very well said, Sean and and Franklin. And and I, I think that when you're looking at the coordination of care, um, really anyone in healthcare I think will tell you that they got into it because they wanted to change uh, people's lives and make them. Uh, better, right? I, I, I came from a different industry on the other side of insurance, and I was helping people after they died. I wanted to change that and help people while they were living. And so um, I, I think that if, if we're all focused on making patient experiences better and outcomes better, that, that we can also align those financial goals so that would be sustainable and, and also scalable 
through the technology that you're talking about. And so although our time is cut short here on Healthcare Corner, I'm sure we'll have you both back on again. And, and thank you for coming on the show to share a little bit with us about your solution at Vertera Health. And uh, so for all of our listeners out there, again, go to VerterraHealth.com and find out more and uh, see what Sean and Franklin are up to. And so hopefully in a couple months we can get an update. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everyone. To learn more about being a guest on the show or to ask a host a question, go to hcshow.net or email the show at info at hcshow.net to get your questions answered on the Healthcare Corner with Gavin Wiswell.